All right. Hello and welcome to the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm your host. And today we have another great guest. Dan Weiss is the third generation in his family's commercial drywall contracting company. Weiss Drywall and Construction is based in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, Dan is currently the VP of the company and wears a lot of different hats, as many of us do within the industry, and serves on multiple industry boards, as a lot of us do as we kind of rise up through the ranks. And Dan's married for eight years, has two kids, and is hoping that one of his kids will be in the fourth generation of leadership at his company. So welcome, Dan, to the Construction Corner Podcast. Great to have you here this morning. Thanks, Dylan. Really appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah, so really as a third generation in your family's company, why like why'd you choose to to go into it? You've I guess come up through the industry or seen it, you know, firsthand, but why did you choose to to stay? Well, I guess I wasn't really given another option. <laughs> so the office that I'm talking to you out of right now is the same office that I uh, used to tie uh, ceiling wires in when I was a little kid. Uh, so my grandfather at one point in time had this vendor that he was selling ceiling wires to. And so one summer he sold, like he put an order together for like, it was like a hundred thousand wires. And so I had to, uh, he, he made me tie every one of those wires in this very same office at a very young age. I was probably only like 11 or 12. And so, you know, it's just one of those things growing up, you grow up in the company, um, even though I'm third generation, I didn't know any different. You know, if I was sick, uh, my mom worked, my dad worked here. And so my grandmother would bring me into the office and I would, you know, whatever, wrestle boxes in the conference room or what, you know, I just, and so uh, I kind of, kind of came up through, you know, middle school, high school, college. I didn't really know what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden it's the summer before my senior year of college. And my, my dad comes to me and he's like, Hey, we just landed this project. It was a large project at the time. And he's like, we really need an, uh, a full-time on-site safety guy. And I thought that it would be a great fit for you to come into the company. Can you graduate early from college and come do this? I'm like, well, no, I can't. But I can, you know, arrange my schedule uh, to come and, you know, go to classes early in the morning or late at night or whatever it was I needed to do. And uh, that's, that's how I came into the company. Just that simple. Uh, at that point in time, I didn't have any... Uh, premonition that was going to come into the business, but just everything kind of falls into place sometimes like that. So I think, you know, they're always looking to bring another family member into the business some ways. So, <laughs> that's kind of how I got into it, right? You just don't know any different and kind of get pushed by your family into it. Yeah. And that, that almost seems like a great role too. It wasn't like you came in, you know, as VP of the company, right? You, right. you started as a, you know, what would be a you know, out of college position anyway for, for some and, you know, kind of worked your way up in the company, I'm assuming. Totally. Yeah. So I, uh, so yeah, I started there. I started, you know, going down downtown St. Louis at this one project and just in general, you know, I'd have to get up at, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning, just like everybody else, you know, and head to work. And uh, yeah, over time worked my way up to, to where I'm at now. That's yeah, awesome. Overtime been here for 13 or 15 years now in a full-time capacity so yeah yeah lost track lost track of time <laughs> yeah i have no idea yeah whatever what is that you know right <laughs> start doing the math uh you know as we we get up there so you were telling me you know just before we 
we went live here. Um, they've, this is the 48th year in business for your, your company. That's pretty, pretty amazing. How has, you know, you guys, how have you been able to last so long? You know, construction obviously has many ups and downs <laughs> and as a, a subcontractor, no less, you know, how long, how have you been able to maintain that, you know, through time? You know, a lot of it boils down to the workforce and the culture that we have. You know, we are so fortunate that we're based here in St. Louis. Um, and we have just a phenomenal union presence here in St. Louis. And they, you know, our building trades here, they do a great job at, at training their people and supporting the companies. Um, definitely has its own difficulties, you know, just like any, any you know, form of construction that you choose. Um, but that would be the very first and foremost thing that I would say. Um, second is just the culture of our company, you know, um, the culture that my grandfather started with, you know, in the early seventies, you know, it's just, um, watch every cent, you know, work hard, you know, honest eight hours of work, you know, for your people, there's stories here of him. Um, a lot of the people that are in upper management today were hired by him. And so there's stories here, you know, it's the last hour of the day on a Friday and a guy finishes up a job. You know, what does my grandfather do? he sends them to another job, you know, even though he knows it's a 20 minute drive and then they're going to be there, work 20 minutes and roll up. But he, you know, if, if they're going to entrust, you know, their livelihood to him or to our company, to Weiss Drywall, he's going to make sure that they, their family gets taken care of and that, you know, they're going to get their 40 hours a week and, you know, everything like that. Um, and so just that culture of just having each other's back. Um, and then I think too, just being in the construction industry, you know, another longevity pieces, maybe we're, we're just gluttons for punishment. I think, I think that's just a lot of it. Um, <laughs> you know, this, it's a, it's a rough and tumble business, you know? And, uh, so yeah, I, I think that's just a lot of it. We just kind of put your head down and keep grinding and just deal with the problems as they come. Yeah. I think, so I want to go back a little bit to, like the union versus non-union, obviously St. Louis is a strong union town. And like you mentioned, unions are training people really well, which is, you know, one of the main uh, roles of a union. And I just wanted to hit on that. That's so important. Um, you know, I've, I've worked, you know, when I was more on the design side and, and on projects a lot more often with electricians that were both union and non-union. And uh, on some of those projects, I could really tell the difference in, uh, in the quality of work. You know, typically the unions did a little better job because they were, they were better trained um, for the most part. I mean, there was always exceptions to that rule. Um, and I, I mean, can you speak a little more to that? Like just on the, the union piece, the quality of work that you're seeing, you know, and what, what have you seen outside of St. Louis um, when it comes to that? Or have you, I guess, is the other question. <laughs> yeah, that's what's funny. Yeah, that's what, like we were talking earlier uh, before the podcast started. Yeah, yeah uh, I've kind of I've been born and raised in St. Louis and kind of never left, even for college. Um, you know, I, I think we just get so used to, you know, I'll go to other parts of the country and just realize just, and just being a wall and ceiling guy, I'm always looking at walls and ceilings everywhere I go. And just looking at the quality of craftsmanship, just those minor details that I get so just accustomed to seeing, right? And you go to other parts of the country, you know, and I'm not going to do any shout outs here to any other part of the country, you know, and you're just like, man, like, 
you know, you just look at, you know, the, the squareness of corner bead, you look at, you know, the fit and finish of like an acoustic ceiling, you look at, you know, whatever the edges, you look at all these small little minor details and man, it's like, man, we are just so fortunate that, you know, our people put out, you know, just some amazing quality work, you know, and, and that's just a lot of it. It's just, they, you know, the, the attention to detail, the training that they receive, um, and then also just the culture, you know, each company has its own culture, right? But there's a lot of basis in that that's based off of that training. So. Sure. Especially like in the trades, you know, as people move around, you know, they, they see multiple companies, I'm sure, um, just as work ups and flows, you know, across companies. And um, so I'm sure that I, there's got to be a base culture kind of across St. Louis as, you know, trades people move around. Totally. You know, what's funny though is we have other third generation employees here that aren't me and my brother, you know? And so we do see that kind of, you know, that lasting kind of effect of that, that lasting, you know, we have, gosh, we have multiple employees that are going to be here for like 40 years this year. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. And so it's, it's crazy. You know, it's really neat to see that kind of base, you know? And so, well, yes, we do have some employees that move around, you know, oftentimes, you know, our kind of our core group of people have been here for 10 or 15 plus years. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really neat. So transitioning a little bit to kind of the project side of things and <laughs> maybe the actual work um, during, you know, construction or maybe after a uh, certificate of occupancy, you know, and building operation, what are some things that you wish more owners, GCs, architects kind of knew that uh, might not always be obvious or that you point out maybe <laughs> a lot to them during the process? Um, you know, as, as an engineer, like there are probably some things that I wish more electricians would, <laughs> would let yeah. me know, you know, during a project or design that, hey, we can, we could do this or this might be a little better. Um, just so that collective learning you know, becomes uh, better and pushed around without in the context of like a project and cost ramifications, you know, kind of in that early stage so people can just plan better, um, right. you know, not like have those, those uh, costly maybe change orders or difference of like design or, or things like that. But so what would you, you know, what piece of advice would you give out to like owners, GCs or architects um, to help them? Yeah, from a, from a contracting. So if we start in pre-con, from the pre-con, like estimation portion, uh, I, I have two or three. Um, the pre-con estimation portion of that is, you know, there's, if you're dealing with a well-qualified, long-tenured subcontractor and you're pitting three against each other, right? Or, you know, you're going to get three bids on a project, not pitting. Um, you're going to get three bids on a project, well, sometimes pitting. Um, that's okay just trust that not really any of them have a secret sauce per se in pricing models, you know, or in people, you know, frankly, um, you know, so if you're going to have one that's 10% cheaper, 20% cheaper, they're either a just trying to buy the project or B, you know, they don't have a full scope. And so if they don't have a full scope, you're going to receive change orders on that later. They're going to make that money back one way or the other. You know, they're either going to get it on the front end or they're going to get it on the back end. Um, 
And then on an operations standpoint, when we're building the project, um, you know, I really owners and GCs and architects, you know, when they, when they are assembling and choosing the bidders and the winners of those bids, you know, just trusting them, I would say, um, I know for us, you know, we are very much so take a long-term approach to relationships and to clients, you know, when they hire us, they're not just hiring, you know, some, a crew of guys to put some screws in some drywall, right. You know, they're trusting a team, you know, and we really truly do approach uh, construction and the building process as a team environment. And so if we're raising flags or raising concerns, you know, we're not just doing that because we're trying to delay or trying to make any more money. We, our, our goal is to get in, get a project done and get out and um, do the best for the team that we can. Um, you know, and so there's, there's some contractors out there that use us as a competitive advantage, you know, because we'll send a good tenured form in there and, you know, we'll practically run a smaller, a smaller project for them. Um, you know, tell them what they need to do in the phase and they need to do it, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, just just trust the people you bring on. I would say. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And I mean, especially with companies that have been around for a while and have that reputation, um, especially if you're doing like you know, like you said, you <laughs> born and raised and never really left St. Louis, so you kind of know everybody <laughs> across the you know all the GCs and more likely the architects and a lot of the the major owners too that kind of know everybody since you've been around for a while, um, which might be different than some of those coming up. Now with like the rise of, of BIM going from paper drawings, cause you've seen that, that shift. Um, how has that affected your process in any way or maybe in pre-con or has it really affected what you're doing? Obviously you still need to look at PDFs and that <laughs> type of thing, but how has, has BIM kind of affected any of the processes that you guys go through? You know, what's funny is we here as being a, a drywall contractor in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, we're, we're seeing a little bit, but, but not an incredible amount so far. Like uh, there's really, you know, no drywall sub here really has a BIM department. Yeah. We, we can sub it out and contract some of it out, you know, things like that um, or bring in some consultants. Um, but it hasn't really necessarily impacted us, the BIM side of things. Now, digitizing has greatly impact, you know, through plan grid or any other, you know, file sharing resource like that. Um, you know, it has greatly impacted how we operate and just having those updated documents, you know, is just hugely important, um, you know, because documents are changing at such a rapid pace these days, you know, they'll change daily, you know? And so um, I would say that cloud sharing, is has been huge for us and huge like just in a, in a great way <laughs> huge in a great way yes oh yeah yeah, yeah absolutely sorry <laughs> yeah huge in a great way uh because you know my guys as long as they continue to keep everything updated they always have the latest documents can build you know build things the latest way right which and off the latest revision which is really good you know where before you know even three years ago five years ago we would have to, you know, print out another set of paper or print that off or, you know, gosh, just a few years ago, I, I bought printers to put out on our job site so guys could print stuff off, you know. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it's been just the transformation in the last three to five years has been really good. 
yeah, that's really great to hear that it's it's been in that positive manner that things flow, information flows maybe a little easier than, uh, you know, FedEx boxes coming in uh, full of drawings, that type of thing. So right. it's, that's really great to hear. As well as on the, the design side, um, what are some maybe common decisions that owners might struggle with during the design process? Um, and maybe some short versus long-term thinking, and this could go for the architects as well, um, that you know, a lot of the design, design decisions on, for engineering anyway, might go to like energy models and you know, what type of HVAC system we put in or wall construction you know, definitely has a big impact on that for insulation values, but what type of um, kind of common decisions that they might struggle with that have, for you guys anyway, for a, a short versus a long-term impact? Right. So I'm going to answer this question a little differently than how you just set me up. So sorry for that. Um, but, you know, we see a lot on the wall and ceiling side of the industry, owners or GCs wanting to purchase their own doors, door frames, hardware, you know, those owner supplied items. Mm -hmm. uh, which is fine. It's absolutely fine. The issue is always lead time. They, uh, they typically, I shouldn't say always, not an always to never guy. They typically wait too long in the process to order them. And so oftentimes it leads to slowing up the process. So, you know, if we receive door frames late, there's so many times, I can't tell you how many times that we have to go back and partially disassemble a wall to put the door frames in, you know, and then the hardware and the doors are late, you know, which, Doors and hardware is just a nightmare. If anybody's out there and they have a startup around doors and hardware, let's talk. Because uh, it is always just, I don't know, there's just so many components and parts and pieces. It's, uh, it can get crazy. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things. Just making sure that if you're going to supply those items, that they're going to be there on time, on schedule, so that way we can get your project done. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. Because that is, you know, a short term maybe thinking on a project that you you might save a, a dollar up front but over the course of that project you know it doesn't work quite quite as well because of, of the changes that in scope and work that need to happen to make everything you know continue down the line so that that is a great example totally yeah that dollar that you know they potentially save up front you know cost them and just getting their you know project open you know in, in the time frame that they're looking for so yeah so along with decision-making, because that's kind of the, the train of thought that we're on, what have you been able to do or how might you help decisions get made on projects? As we know, like there's a lot of decisions that need to get made and always in a timely manner in construction. So what are some of the, the tactics that could apply to anybody, right? Whether they're another sub, a GC, an architect, an engineer that kind of help keep things moving on a project. You know, sometimes it just, it's tough, you know, because when we're, when we're building something and we're right in the middle of building something and like, oh gosh, we got to you know, go back to the architect, talk to the architect about this design. Then we got to get the GC. And so we get to that point sometimes where nobody wants to take the liability for something, you know, even minor, you know, which, which is fine. That that's, you know, so common these days. And, um, and that's okay. But I think at the end of the day, you know, oftentimes just getting everybody in the same room to make that decision and try to get something pinned down. Um, 
you know, most of your contractors that you work with are doers, right? Which, which is good and bad, you know, it, it, it can definitely backfire, you know, but, um, but just thinking through that, just getting everybody in the same room, you know, if it's, don't have a thousand dollar meeting for a hundred dollar problem though, too, you know, like if we can make a decision to move on, just, you know, make a decision to move on. So I would say just quick to get to a point. Yeah. And I mean, that's come up in so many conversations that I've had across construction is more than likely most people are willing to, you know, sit down and have a meeting so long as, you know, we have a good agenda <laughs> for that meeting and we have decision points that need to be made. And then really the big overarching thing is communication. Um, we touched on, on digital tools, but how important like is communication to projects, project success, culture, um, kind of your take on, on communication? Oh, it's huge. In completing a project, especially, it is tremendous. I mean, if we, you know, if we're trying to get an answer from somebody and we can't get a hold of them, you know, it's like, think about it like this, like our people are, you know, whatever, a dollar a minute, you know? And so every time we, you know, we're not getting that project done, you know? Um, so just, just having that open line of communication with anybody that we need to get a hold of or vice versa. If they need to ask us a question, you know, most likely we're all in the last minute. If it wasn't for that last minute, we would get nothing done. And so just having constant communication is tremendous. Um, tremendous. You just have to have it in order to get projects executed in a timely fashion. Yeah. And I know some of the best projects that, that I've been on, you know, I had the direct number for the, electrical foreman and he had mine and you know he had a question and it was something simple like hey what do you mean by this you know it wasn't necessarily a, a change in the project but like hey what do you want us to do here it doesn't necessarily need an RFI he could submit one if he wanted to or do it you know after the fact and we you know but we built that trust too on the job where hey you know you send me this or call me if you have questions and let's just get this hashed out instead of waiting you know maybe it's a day or two or four to go through the gc and <laughs> come back down right. maybe that's not the best process to work but you know we had that trust level um and then you know if he needed documentation on the backside, you know i could send him an email real quick to have it so that he could fill out the rfi and and everything else so that the whole process was still still documented and you know it was accepted in, in those pieces so some of the best projects that I've worked on we've had that open line of communication and I highly recommend that you know whatever that needs to look like in your projects to, yeah. <laughs> to make it happen right even it, it might be a conference call to get the GC on board so that they're, they're not out of the loop um, just you know contractually and everything else like how things <laughs> should right. flow on a project um but that that might be some ways to to make things happen totally like even or even you know oftentimes just getting everybody involved in you know a plan grid you know chat session or you know whatever on a notes section on there or however that needs to happen but yes exactly you know to where you can get it documented you know to where you can understand the design but also the design intent you know, and so that that's great that you were able to do that and, you know, pull that off successfully on, on some of those projects like that, because that's, that's what, it, what's what we really need. Yeah. I mean, and trust has to go both ways, right? They've got to trust yeah. me and I've got, to, I've got to trust them that, you know, Hey, what I say as the engineer, you know, is actually going to go through and happen. Like I'm not going to do something different when it comes down to it. Um, you know, and the, that, Hey, whatever I, 
you know, said and documented or whatever is going to get done, right? So that that does need to flow both ways. Um, but if you have that and you establish that early on a project, it goes it goes much smoother. When the projects that I've had that communication either stops or people are hesitant to to do anything, um, doesn't always work quite as well. So then it's. <laughs> Um, there's other things that happen. I'm sure that we all, all know what, what those things end up looking like and they're not pretty most of the time. Typically not. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, being in the industry for so long, coming up through the industry, where, where do you see like construction maybe as a whole kind of heading? Obviously, uh, there's some methods that haven't changed since the, the pyramids, but there's other other methods and other technology like we alluded to that have really kind of revolutionized at least our, our data trail and how we deal with documents and contracts and things like that. But mm -hmm. kind of where do you see maybe construction as a whole heading in the next, say, five, ten years as we are a slow-moving industry at some times? <laughs> we are. Um, you know, in, in five to ten years – you know, we're seeing kind of a resurgence and and more projects going towards prefab, you know, especially on the MEP side. Um, I, I think that trend is only going to continue. The more that we can do offsite, you know, in a factory style setting, uh, the less time that we're putting on man hours, the quicker we can get projects open um, and completed. And I think we're probably seeing some better quality on the MEP side out of that too. Um, you know, for drywall, it's it's difficult. Uh, we're seeing a little bit of prefab, um, but you know, a lot of projects that we do, they're concrete structured projects. And so it's, it's a little difficult to try to prefab something in a warehouse and take it out, you know, try to prefab a wall unit and take it out there. So, um, you know, I think you're going to, you're going to see just a focus more on efficiencies and making people more efficient. You're probably going to see some more software come out. Um, around making folks more efficient, um, you know, probably some more crew scheduling, um, things like that, you know, but I do know one thing I, I can't, I don't have a crystal ball here. I can't predict the future, but I do you know one thing is that our industry is going to change tremendously in the next five to 10 years. And so that's why we always have to be in a constant state of learning and not getting comfortable and complacent and being open to the idea of new technologies because, you know, things are going to come on a left field and, and they're either going to work for us or not. We got to try them. You know, we got to figure it out um, and understand if they're going to work for us or not. And that's going to vary by market. Uh, what may work here in St. Louis might not work in, in LA, might not work in New York city, might not work in uh, Atlanta. And so, you know, just being open and understanding that technology is moving at such a rapid pace that you know, the last five years have been crazy. I can only imagine the acceleration of the next five to 10 years and what we're gonna see. Yeah, and that's a really good point is to be open to trying things um, because if you don't try something out on a, on a given project or you know, have those test projects that you're kind of working with new technology or new processes that you know, when it comes to that big project that it's maybe required in some instances like BIM, was for a lot of people when they didn't try it out on small projects or didn't have it and then they had that they want a massive project and now okay you have to do you know coordination and navisworks um i think some people yeah. got kind of <laughs> uh blindsided maybe in a way but at the same time like they saw it coming 
Um, and that's just one example that's now, now very pervasive and that's only been in the matter of probably three to five years. <laughs> they could do doing like Navisworks coordination has been a you know standard on most projects and now we're getting even more detailed on on what we're doing in pre-construction for everybody across the board totally and, and you know I think you're going to see as this progression continues as we see more modeling as we see you know more technology coming into our slow moving industry I think you're only going to see more products come to help with that you're going to see you know, just, just more um, novel approaches to the construction process that you otherwise wouldn't have seen if we didn't have just this new base of technology coming in. Sure. Yeah, we're seeing that. I mean, across markets, you're seeing um, labor is always the big one and uh, skilled labor is what we're always seeing that we, we never have enough of to do all the projects that we want. So either projects are becoming more expensive or timelines are becoming greater or shifting in how they do things to make that work with the workforce in a given area or they're bringing people in from another area <laughs> to do work. Right. Um, you know, so I, I see a lot of robotics coming in, a lot of things like that to help augment, you know, what's being done. Like there's a robot that does uh, chalk out lines for, for framing and things like that. So instead of a person doing that, you kind of load everything in. And now, now that person, instead of doing that, can go do something else or on another project um, and just kind of help augment that workforce. So I, I think that's right. definitely the trend that's, <laughs> that's happening. Yeah, I think you're going to see incremental. You know, because right now we're seeing things like, you know, people are trying to jump way far ahead of things, you know, trying to jump three steps. I think you're going to see a jump in five years. I think you're going to see another jump in 10 years. You know, we've, how much money has automakers piled into try to creating self-driving cars, you know, and it's very difficult. And a construction site is, you know, probably immeasurably more difficult than even a road just because of things moving so fast at a rapid pace that it's not predictable, you know? And so, you know, I don't know, like I'm, I'm maybe, maybe I'm a, Maybe I'm a Luddite. I don't know. But no, no. Um, I think you're going to see things move a little slower than what um, other other markets predict them to be. Oh, but. definitely. Yeah, I've talked to a number of robotics people, and construction is one of the hardest environments to operate in. You know, people leave tools out, or now there's a lift in the way that wasn't there, you know, right. 20 minutes ago, let alone a day. Um, and things just move around the site you know like even for drone pathing for kind of as built and daily you know progress like that flight path has to you know be somewhat clear and that's not always the case so they I mean they have to account for for a lot of those pieces so I, I think you're totally right that it's going to be slow moving pieces and things that you know like a, a outlining they can do it's fairly clean and ish environment you know at that point and totally. they're going to or you're doing stuff on a lift, <laughs> you're taking that robot around, right. whatever it might be to kind of control that environment. Cause that's, that's the biggest unknown in a lot of these cases. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. So being in the construction industry, kind of your life, 15 years, uh, you know, really in it um, as well as just seeing what's going on in your family and 48 years for, for the family business for somebody that's, maybe just starting out, whether they're in, in the trades, as a designer, whatever they might be doing, 
um, across the industry, what might be some advice that you would give someone that's, that's coming up, that's just starting, um, but wants to make a real career in construction? Hmm. And that's a great question. Um, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give is just don't be humble. You know, don't think you know everything. Um, especially, you know, every once in a while we'll get, you know, some young hotshot engineers come out of, you know, some Ivy League school, you know, and they just get so dug into their design intent, design process, you know, and our people that have been out there, you know, none of, none of our guys have engineer degrees, you know, or have a stamp, um, but, you know, they definitely know how to build stuff and how, you know, how to make sure that things are going to work right, you know, and they're not going to stamp it, but, but they know, you know, they, they've been in the business for 20 years, 30 years, you know, they've seen and done a lot of different things, you know, and sometimes we just bang our head against the wall with, with, you know, the young engineer and just, just trust the people that you're working with, trust the people that are building things, you know, especially if you have that trust level, I should say, asterisk. Um, because, and just truly try to come in and learn every day, just as technology has changed in the last five years and it's going to change in the next five to 10 years. Don't get so set in your ways that, you know, you get passed by, you know, just truly approach things like a team and understand that you know, only a team is going to get the design built. Only a team is going to get the project built. Only a team is how you're going to learn what you need to do to make a long lasting career, whether you're a apprentice carpenter or, you know, you're um, just coming into a GC, you know, whatever that is, just know that one day, you know, the people that you're under right now that are teaching you things, right. It may not be your way, but that is a really good base to start. And then you figure out, and can refine on their way to where it's one day, it's your own way, you know? Sorry, that's kind of a roundabout way of getting there, but you know, it's, it's truly just to understand and learn a base of knowledge. Then you can innovate and then you can understand. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll totally echo that. I mean, I, you know, I'm an engineer, I've got my license, five states. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that I don't know <laughs> when it comes to, you know, how things get installed, right? My my job is the the engineer, the design, the, you know, how things need to be put in, um, in a way, but at the same time, you know, I have so much to learn, um, from, from the trades and everybody in construction. I think even if you've been in this industry for a long time, there's still things that you can learn, um, from other trades, or maybe somebody comes and does it a different way or a novel way. And you're like, well, that wasn't really what I intended, but I mean, that works. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. Um, so it's always, it's being open, it's being somewhat flexible, you know, that, Hey, does this work? Does this work for everybody? Right. You're not just, uh, in your own little bubble, (laughs) you have that communication across the project. And I think a lot of engineers, especially, and I could talk to this one more, you know, we don't always spend a lot of time in the field and it's to, to send more people out into the field so they get more experience. I mean, I had a lot of great internships and it came up, you know, where I spent a lot of time in, in factories and in other places and mm-hmm. in industrial settings. So um, I really understood a lot and I took apart a lot of electrical gear um, in my first, you know, job out of and through college. 
Um, so I understood a lot more than most engineers just because I had that, that hands-on experience. Um, but that's still, I, I had a ton to learn in, in ways that things were, were actually built or concealed or, or what have you, everything behind the walls um, versus, right. you know, some other pieces. So I totally echo that, that you, you have something to learn from everybody. Um, you know, and, and I had a great um, electrician that I worked with for the first couple of years. It was a older guy and, you know, been doing it for a long time and uh, in uh, Louisville and worked at an industrial plant and just a good old boy. But man, he, uh, he knew how to put stuff together and um, take things apart. And, you know, I learned, I learned a lot from, from him, but not everyone's that lucky. So when you do find somebody that's willing to give you some knowledge and information and help you learn, um, really, really take that and run with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And then just also, you know, I know we, I probably just said this, but also just being open-minded to new technologies, you know, um, some of our best foremen been with us forever. Right. I was getting phone calls from dude this morning, you know, he's like, my plan grid's not working. Like, you know, and you know, he's, he's been with our company for 30 something years, you know, and he just loves playing grid because he can walk around with his iPad and everything's there, you know, and I guarantee you 10 years ago, if I would have told him he was doing that, he probably would have said, yeah, maybe that might work, you know, and now he's like, he can't live without it, you know, so just kind of being open-minded and being able to adapt, you know, is also huge as well. That's a great point. Um, before we, we wrap up, where can they, they find you, Dan? So you can find me on LinkedIn at Dan Weiss, it's W-I-E-S, I always got to spell that. Uh, find me on Facebook, same, Dan Weiss. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Dan Weiss. It's all there. So, yep, awesome. Cool. Is there anything else that you wanted me to, to ask that I haven't or something else that you want to you wanna put out there for our, our listeners? Man, you're gonna put me on the spot like that, aren't you, Dill? No, um, you know, just truly, when when you're building projects and constructing projects, you know, I mean, definitely pre-qualify the contractors you're working with. You know, um, not everything's gonna be perfect all the time, but really, just their knowledge base, their understanding of projects, um, especially if it's a new one, you know, and just um, just ask them those questions, especially when you get that bid in your hand. Run through the scope. Um, you know, it takes an extra couple minutes and I understand there's bid deadlines and everything else like that. Um, there's always a stressor. There's always a deadline. Um, but most of the time, if you're working with good, reputable contractors, they're going to tell you in that scope of work, what they have and more importantly, what they don't have. Um, that, that's the only stressor I would have right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I've seen that across many projects. Um, and just what you were talking about earlier, it's going to, that difference is going to be made up one way or the other. Um, so it's good to do that up front <laughs> so that everyone's kind of playing the, the same game. So with that, I'll wrap up here. So Dan, thank you for coming on the Construction Corner podcast. Really enjoyed having you. I think we got a lot of great information. Um, we stress communication. We stress, uh, you know, going through scopes of work. That's super important up front. We stressed technology and how that's going to really change our industry, both on the software and probably on the hardware side as things evolve and grow. And we'll see what software is definitely going to be faster than hardware. Um, but as we see that, you know, be open to that new 
hardware, that new technology that's coming out there and try it out. Um, it might not work for you on your projects, but at least give it a shot. At least, you know, go into it like really open-minded and, and seeing how this, how this might work for you or can work for you versus it doesn't or <laughs> it won't. Um, I think that's really important for, for your projects. And obviously it's, you know, across the board on, on who this is going to affect. So again, Dan, thank you for, for coming. And until next time. Thank you.